Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 4, and this will be our scripture reading for this morning. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. This is Matthew. He is, as you guys have known, we've been in Isaiah 9, 6. This is Matthew saying that this is being fulfilled in Jesus' ministry, and this is how it reads. It says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And this is what Isaiah prophesied. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you, God, for Jesus. We thank you that in this season, in this Christmas season, we get to proclaim that you have come. And thank you, God, for for proclaiming that good news all the way like like 27 centuries ago through the prophet Isaiah. And we get to celebrate and, and, and just, God, just develop our own life with you, Jesus, because you came. And so would you be with Pastor Dave today as he preaches the word? Would you anoint him and fill him with your spirit? And would you open our ears and our hearts to hear what you have for us today? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've said, we've been focusing on Isaiah chapter 9, actually verses 1 through 6, but especially verse 6, where we hear four names for a little child that's going to be born. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, we've covered those. Today it's Everlasting Father, and then finally the Prince of Peace. And so Isaiah prophesied deliverance for the people of Israel who were living in gloom and doom. And these were especially the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun who lived in the north and east of Israel. And they were being invaded by Assyria. And so you can imagine the gloom and doom that they were experiencing. You think COVID is bad. Imagine what that would have been like. But Isaiah prophesied that a little child would come and be their deliverance. This is what it says in Isaiah 9 verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. That's speaking of Israel. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And so uh, Isaiah prophesies the coming of Jesus. And Matthew tells us that when Jesus began his ministry, he specifically fulfilled that specific prophecy. And so today I'm going to focus on on the the third name, Everlasting Father. And so my first point is this, that Isaiah promised that the ultimate deliverance would come through a child named after God. A child named after God. And we, we get that from the first two already. As Pastor Mike pointed out, that wonderful means a cut above, better than anything human you can imagine. And mighty God, that says it clearly. And then everlasting Father, we know God as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So everlasting Father, in the word, in the Hebrew uh, text, the the part uh, Father comes first, that word comes first, and then everlasting. So it could be translated Father of Eternity. 
everlasting father and or father of eternity. This little child was the incarnation of God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And listen to this. He created time. There wasn't time before he created it. But he created time. When he said go, the clock of the universe started ticking and it went. And it's still ticking today. And someday he's going to say stop and Jesus is going to come. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And we look forward to that day. So the, 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 the clock of the universe started ticking when God said go. And it will stop when he tells it to stop. In the meantime... The Father of Eternity, the Everlasting Father, this little child, the Son of God, has cut history. He's the Father of Eternity and the Father of Time, the originator of time. And he cut time in two. He cut history in two. We, at least as Christians still, we divide history into two parts, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And so he is the Everlasting Father, the creator of everything, including Time itself. And so my second point is this, that we have been in the latter days ever since Jesus was born. Isaiah said that this deliverance would come in the latter times or the latter days. And so the people who heard it should have known that the deliverance about which Isaiah was speaking was not an immediate one that would come, but one that would come in the future when the Christ came, when the Messiah came. And those would be called the last days. And so there's two reasons, at least, that we can say we are, we are now in the last days. We have been in the last days ever since Jesus lived, died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. These have been the latter times. And here are two reasons why, at least. In the last days, in the latter times, God has revealed himself to the world and to humanity in a way that he has never, ever done before. God... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist in triunity. But God the Son became a human being. And he would be called Everlasting Father or Father of Eternity. He became a man that we know, whom we know as Jesus of Nazareth. And so he, the author of Hebrews says this, that, that, that we are in the last days right now. Long ago, this is what he says in Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world and upholds it by the word of his power. And so we have another prophecy in Isaiah of a little child coming. That, uh, it's another prophecy that, that, that this little child would be the deliverance. And that's the second reason we're in the latter days. The first one is God revealed himself by becoming one of us. That was unheard of before and yet it was prophesied. It was spoken of in the Old Testament in the passages that we're talking about right now. And so God has revealed himself to us as fully and completely as he can without showing up with all his glory and power like he's going to do at the end of time. But the second reason is found in this passage, Isaiah 7, verse 14. This is what Isaiah says earlier. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, and call his name, shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew tells us which being interpreted means God with us, or God is with us. And something that was 
that was prophesied but unheard of and unknown before Jesus came would be that God himself would live inside his people. God is with us when the Bible says that. He's talking about his literal presence with us and among us. So uh, the Holy, the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, live within us and among us by, by the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, lives in the church. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you or among you? And the word you here, by the way, is the plural. So we could translate it like they do in Texas. Y'all, do y'all not know that that y'all are God's temple and that God's Holy Spirit dwells among y'all? So when the church gathers, as Glenn mentioned earlier before, if you gather in your, your living room with two or three people, or even if you're in your living room alone watching this broadcast, God is with you by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up wherever God's people gather in Jesus' name. So the church as a collective unity is the place where God lives today. And so I'm in the habit of saying, if you want to know what God is doing, you got to go to church. Now, we can't go to church now, but we can still be the church. We can still listen to the word of God together and share it with our neighbors. And then Paul says um, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, he says something even more uh, outstanding and just remarkable. This is what he says. This, this is what he says, or, you do, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The you is still plural, but the body is singular. And so we could translate it like this. Don't you know that the body of each and every one of you, every single one of you, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Pastor Mike referred to that earlier, and so did Glenn, that, that your physical body is the place where God lives. For the Jewish people, the temple at Jerusalem was the place where God lived. It was the place where they said, heaven and earth meet in the temple, in the holy place of the temple. And the apostle Paul now says that the, the, the dwelling place of God, the place where God lives, is number one in his gathered community, the church of Jesus Christ, and number two in the physical body of every single follower of Jesus that lives on earth. And that has never happened before. So that that puts us in the latter days. And by the way, this is something that never ceases to amaze me. It reminds me every day that my faith is about something supernatural that has happened to me and that is happening to me. That whether I feel it or not, God lives inside me. And he is empowering me. He is changing me. He is speaking to me. He is calling me to follow him more closely. He is loving me through the personal presence and power of his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So so we say that Jesus came and one of his names would be Everlasting Father. And so people say today, well, no one ever called him that, that, but that's not true. We call him that all the time. Every year at Christmas, for sure, we name Jesus by these names. And one of those names is Everlasting Father, or the Father of Eternity. And that leads me to my third point, which is this, that Jesus claimed, this is stunning, Jesus claimed that God the Father was like him. 
He said, God the Father is exactly like me. And again, people often ask me, ask me, why didn't Jesus just come flat out and say, I'm God to people? Well, he said, he did say that, and we'll look at that in a second. But he said things that were even more stunning than that. Imagine what you would think if I would say, and stand up here and say, listen, folks, God the Father, the eternal God of all time and space, he is just like me. God forbid. <laughs> you, you, you would know that was not true in an instant. But Jesus said that. This is what he said in John 14, 8 to 9. They, he was in the, in the upper room the last night with his disciples before his death. And, and Philip asked him a question, one of his disciples. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Listen carefully. Whoever has seen me has seen God. And so people, when we try to think about what God is like, who he is in his essential being, the first person we should think about is Jesus. God is like Jesus. And so if you ever feel uh, that God is frowning at you or you feel that he doesn't take delight in you or you feel like maybe he's disappointed you or angry with you, think about Jesus. Think about the way that he re related to his disciples who, who didn't believe. They were, they were thick-headed. They didn't understand what he was saying, and yet he loved them and taught them and trained them and was with them and died for them. God the Father is just like Jesus. Now, I hate to have to say this, but I, I do have to say it, that some people, in fact, many people in our day, have a difficult time thinking of God as Father because they have had not such a great relationship with the, their human father. And so to think of God as Father is kind of something that puts people, many people off today for that reason. Many homes today are fatherless, where children grow up not even knowing their father very much. And so to that I want to say this. Jesus will be known as the everlasting father. That God the father is just like Jesus. Everything we can say about God, we can say about Jesus. The Bible, Jesus said himself. And so this is what I want to say. Two things I want to say about that. Number one, Jesus is the standard for what a human father should be like. Jesus is the standard. So listen to this, what the scripture doesn't say. The scripture does not say, think of your father and think of God. That's what God is like. God is like your dad. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says, think of Jesus. Jesus is what your dad should be like because that's what God is like. Jesus is the standard for human fatherhood and motherhood, by the way, for that matter. He's the standard. So even if you've not had such a great relationship with your earthly father, you can have a, a full, absolute, intimate love relationship with God who will be a father to you like no one has ever been before. Even if you've had the best father in, your, in the world, God will be the father that you've never had. Jesus said the father was just like him. And then I just want to point out, just, just briefly to say, that Jesus did come out and say, I am God, in the most remarkable way that he could possibly have done to Jewish people. So on a certain occasion, he was dialoguing with Jewish religious leaders like he often did. 
And uh, they were questioning him about his teaching, his authority, his motives, and even his origin. And so at one point in the conversation, things were getting pretty heated. And rather than trying to calm things down, he heats it up even more. This is what he said. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Abraham? You know, they were saying, come on now. Who do you think we are? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, I swear to God, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and left them. Jesus could not have said that he was God in a more powerful way than that. Because I am is the name that God gave to himself. When God sent Moses to Egypt to, to deliver the, the Hebrews from slavery there, uh, Moses was not overflowing with self-confidence. And so in Exodus 3, verse 13 and 14, we have this little encounter and this little dialogue between Moses and God. And Moses says to this, then Moses said to God, let's say, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so I am, this is something that is, it is grammatically awkward, but Jesus said it for a reason. He wasn't saying, you know, I existed before Abraham. I lived before Abraham. He does mean that. He could have said that. He could have said, I was alive before Abraham was alive, but he didn't. He said, before Abraham was, I am taking upon himself the personal name of God. And this is a name that fits in with our theme today, that Jesus would be called, we would think of him, him as the everlasting father when God says I am he's just saying I am to say of God that he is is the most powerful thing we can say of him because he was he was alive as the triune God in the past in our past in our present and will be forever in our future he has always been there has never been a time when God's presence was not real and when God was not loving when God the Father was not loving the Son and vice versa, and God the Son was not loving the Spirit and vice versa, and God the Father was loving both of them, and both of them were loving Him back, vice versa. There has never been a time when that was true. And what does it mean for us now? It means that He is, and He doesn't change, and I'll come back to that in a bit. But He is, he is fully alive everywhere in the universe. My philosophy professor, who was an ordained minister, used to say, that he is present with every molecule and atom and subatomic particle in the entire universe. Douglas Wessel used to say that. He's everywhere, and most importantly, he lives in you. And so I am captures the idea that God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no ending. And Jesus says, in one sense, I'm eternal too. Now, Jesus, the man Jesus of Nazareth had a birth date. There was a time before which Jesus of Nazareth did not exist. And then he was born, and now we worship him as God. But 
The Bible says about Jesus that he was more than a man. I love John's version of the Christmas story because it's, it's heavy with theology. It's full of it. And you know this passage. Uh, I think you've probably heard it before. John 1 to 3. John 1, 1 to 3 and verse 14 also. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him. And I'm just going to translate in my own paraphrase, not a single solitary thing that exists. There's not a single solitary thing that exists that the Word did not create. Everything, including time, was created by the living, eternal Word of God. And so based on this scripture and others, and then verse 14, uh, this, is what, this is what John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And so based upon the biblical revelation, this is what we say about Jesus. This is getting a little theological, but, uh, but, but pardon me for a moment. We say that He was fully human, he died, for, after all. He ate food just like you do. He grew tired just like you do. He got happy and excited just like you do. He became extremely sorrowful just like we can. He was fully human in every way except that he didn't sin. But he was also, at the same time, fully and truly God Almighty. Mighty God we talked about last time. Everlasting Father or Father of Eternity. He's both fully human and fully God. And we, we can't fully you know, get our arms around and grasp that, but we believe it because it's the only way to explain who Jesus was. And the application of that is this, is that all the promises that God made thousands of years ago, the promise in Isaiah that we're focusing upon today, the two promises in Isaiah, all those promises made thousands of years ago, they're still in effect and they're still valid. God is still saying, I swear to God, I swear by myself, and the Bible says he does that. There was no one greater to swear by, so he swore by himself. An oath to humanity that he would send a redeemer and that anyone who would put faith in him would be saved, not only for eternal life, which is very important because we're all going to die, but for an overflowing and abundant life in this life. And so we can count on promises that were made thousands of years ago because Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So if you ever have put your faith in a promise of Jesus and ever doubted it, remember, he doesn't change. He doesn't go back on his word like we often do. He doesn't come up short with his promises like we often do. He keeps every one of them, and he keeps them forever. So if you put yourself in his hand, you're still in his hand. No matter what you, you think or no matter what it feels like today, <clears throat> if you have ever put your life in the hands of Jesus, your life is still in the hands of Jesus. All right, so Jesus was born a child. This is my fourth point. Jesus was born a child, but he grew to be a man who cared for people like a good father. He was born like a child. I would say, how can a little child be a father? Well, he grew up, and he started to do things. This is why he said about himself, whoever has seen me has seen God. 
The reason he did that is because he began to do things that fathers do. So, for example, a good father, and maybe you haven't had one, maybe you have. If you have, God bless you. I'm, I'm glad for you. But if you haven't, there's hope for you. There's hope for wholeness in the midst of that. Because here's one thing good fathers do. I'm just going to talk about three. Number one is this. They speak of their children not in terms of who, terms of who they are, but in terms of who they will become. In other words, they can look at their child and see uh, a future human, human being. And as they grow up, a good father will be encouraging and urging and helping that boy or girl to grow into the person that God meant him or her to be. A good father will see his son or daughter not as who they are, but as who they will become with God's help. And so in Matthew 16, 18, we find an example of this. Peter looks at, or Jesus looks at Peter and says something about him that was not true of him at the moment. This is what he said, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, which means stone. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter was not a rock at the moment. Maybe a little pebble that could be carried about by the currents of a river or by the wind even. But he was not a rock that you'd build anything on. And yet Jesus says, you will be part of the foundation of the church. In Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul says that the apostles were indeed the foundation of the church. And Peter was the main apostle. In, in Jesus' lifetime. So Pete, Jesus saw Peter as the person he would become. And that's how he sees you and me. If you've been in Christ for a while, hopefully the, I hope that you have grown in your maturity. But no matter how far we've grown, there's still more to go. I, I see that in myself. I can look back and say, wow, I'm a far different person than I used to be even than I used to be earlier in my Christian life, even than I used to be 10 years ago, even than I used to be a year ago. I'm even more of a Christian now than I, than I was last week because of things that God has done in my life. And so God sees us as the people we will become, and so does Jesus. And that's how you need to see yourself. We need to have one eye on the future when Jesus is coming, and we will be turned into everlasting creatures who will never die just like he is. Pure from all sin. You know, we'll never die again, which is great. We'll never have disease again, which is great. But the thing that most excites me about what's coming when Jesus comes is that I will never, ever sin again. There's a day coming when that will happen. We'll never be sinless in this life, but hopefully we're learning to sin less in this life. But there will come a day when we will be sinless. And God sees us as that person now. He will treat you like that now. And if you think he's treating you any other way, that's not God you're thinking about. It's somebody else putting those thoughts in your mind. So God sees, or a good father sees his children in terms of what they will become, not in terms of who they are. And then the second thing that good fathers do is they help their children establish their identity. Uh, that's what a good father does. As, as they're growing up, they try to help their children, their, their sons or daughters, discover what their innate skills are, what they're good at, what they're not good at. They, they, a good father will give his child his name, his last name. Traditionally, not, not always anymore, but traditionally, 
if a man and a woman would get married and have children, they would take on the man's name. And he would give them literally his identity, but also help them to grow into the people they were meant to be and help them discover the person that God created. That's what a good father does. And that's what Jesus does to you and me. I just want to say this, and then I'll talk about it a little bit. But at the deepest core of your being, at the most essential part of who you are, should be this. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. No matter what else is happening, regardless of your successes or failures, based on Jesus' perfect success, you are, if you put your faith in him, a son or a daughter of the living God. And that identity should trump every other one. So let me read some passages. John In John um, uh, 20, verse 17, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he appears to Mary Magdalene. And this is what he, he gives her a message to give to his disciples. But listen what he says. Go to my brothers. He doesn't say, go to my disciples, go to my followers. He says, go to my brothers. And say to them, I, ascend, I am ascending to my father and to your father. To my God and to your God. So, so Jesus sets the course for the New Testament teaching that the people who follow him become the children of God. The Apostle John started his gospel with that promise. And I'm going to read to you a, a translation from the message uh, because it just says it in a unique way. This is what it says. But whoever did want him, that is Jesus, who believed he was who he claimed to be and would do what he cl- said he would do, he made, he made them to be their true selves. So if you believe in Jesus, he makes you to be your true self. Their child of God selves. That's who we were intended to be. When God created Adam and Eve, he, he, he intended them to live in a familial, a familial relationship with him. That they would be his children and they fell and they sinned. And so they lost that. But Christ has restored it. And anyone who follows him is a son or daughter of God. Paul, the Apostle Paul famously picks up on this teaching. This is what he says in Romans chapter 8, 15 to 16. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery or the spirit of slavery to fall back again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself, and the word in the Greek says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And the word testifies, it is the word, that sounds like a courtroom word, and it is. In the Greek language, it is. It's it's the word that was used to speak of someone who would give legal testimony in a court of law. And in our country, when you do that, I don't know, they don't do this always anymore, but you put your hand on a Bible and say... I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And what Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing in our life, and is doing if we listen, is saying exactly that. He doesn't have to put his hand on a Bible because he's the source of the Bible. But he says, I'm telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You can count on it because I am God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. 
if you believe in Jesus. And that trumps every other thing that you think you are. Not Donald Trump, but trumps in the sense of overpowering something. Don't get me wrong here. All right. Uh, you lost my place there for a minute. But Followers of Jesus find their most essential identity as the sons and daughters of God. Now, I admit that I talk about this a lot. And you might say, why do you talk about that so much, Pastor Dave? Well, let me ask you this question. Well, let me tell you uh, something about Jesus, first of all. When he was baptized and he came up out of the water, uh, a voice, God spoke out loud and said this to Jesus. You are my son. I am delighted in you. That's my translation of the text. I am delighted in you. Now, let me ask you, in in your heart of hearts, deep down in your gut, do you truly believe that God is delighted in you? Do you believe that? If you do, that faith and that identity should trump every other thing that you are. Whether you failed at something recently or a long time ago that you can't get past, where you haven't been successful as you'd want to be, where other people are calling you other things, where your own mind is calling you other things, when the devil himself is calling you other things, you are a child of God. And God is delighted in you. And if you don't believe that in your gut, then you need to hear this message. Oh, I once heard a preacher say uh, to his congregation, they asked him, why do you preach on the same text so often? And he said, do you believe it yet? And they said, no. Well, I'm going to keep on preaching on it until you do believe it. And that's not exactly what I'm intending to do, but I do want to say... That if you don't believe that in your gut, then you need to preach that gospel to yourself and hear it preached over and over and over again until it takes root. Until it overpowers every other source of identity that you have. Let me ask you another question. Uh, Psalm 17, verse 8, the psalm writer says, Protect me as the apple of your eye. Shadow me underneath your wings. Let me ask you, do you think of yourself... As the apple of God's eye, so to speak? And we might say, uh, uh, what's happened, what, what was the case in my life as I was growing as a Christian, is I did believe it intellectually. I, I believed it 100%. But it didn't always register in my soul, so to speak. There was, there was part of me that didn't quite believe it. But now, I don't know what happened to make that change, I'm convinced beyond all shadow of doubt that I am a son of God, and I want that for you too. Because it gives a confidence, it gives hope, it gives courage, it gives a way to face the future. And then finally, I just want to say this, that like a good father, Jesus gives hope in troubled times. 2020 qualifies as troubled times for at least two reasons. You may have personal reasons that this year has been tough for you, but uh, there's COVID-19, of course, which means that we can't all meet in person. That's why we're doing it virtually right now. And that's been painful to many people, and COVID-19 has taken away from us what we used to think was a normal way of life. It has taken away from us some of our sources of comfort and some of our sources of pleasure, and so we're having to live outside the box now in ways that we... Hadn't planned on living and never thought about living before. And it's interesting, in the Old Testament prophet of Amos, 
in chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, God says this to the people of Israel through Amos. He says, and I'm paraphrasing right here. He says, you know, I sent droughts so that you were thirsty and stumbled around looking for something to drink, and you didn't turn to me. I sent blight and mildew on your crops and in your gardens so that they wilted instead of flourishing, and still you didn't come to me. And then he goes on to say, I sent plagues upon you, and you still didn't turn to me. And so what's the point, Pastor Day? The point is this. I, one thing I'm convinced about about this, this pandemic is this, that God wants you and me to turn to him completely and fully, more fully than we ever have. He wants us to see in, in, in our gut, so to speak, that he is the only true source of satisfaction, joy, love, peace, and so on. And that's at least one thing God wants us to get out of this pandemic. The other source of trouble that has come in 2020 has been our election. It's been one of the most divisive elections ever in the history of the United States. Except maybe the one that happened after the Civil War or during the Civil War. And what, what pains me is to hear Republicans and Democrats say of each other uh, almost things that may... may Put them in the category of being evil. I know of Republican people that talk on Facebook as though Democrats are evil, like Satan is evil. And I hear Democrats talking the same way about Republicans. And if any of you are on either side of that aisle and you're a Christian, you ought to stop talking like that. Why, Pastor Dave? Well, because the president is not Jesus, the president is not a savior. Congress is not going to deliver us. The problems that plague the United States of America go far deeper than any law can touch. They're spiritual. And only God, who is a spiritual being, through his Son and through the Holy Spirit, only God can heal us, can heal our deepest malaise, the deepest form of malaise that we're suffering. And that's the division of it. There's division between ethnic groups, there's division between genders, there's division between people in different social and economic classes, there's difference between people that sit on the different political side of the aisle. We're divided, 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 and Christians, let me, let me tell you that it is upon us, it is incumbent upon us to go and show the world an example of unity and diversity. The only way you can have unity and diversity among, among all the diverse groups and categories of people that we have in this country today, the only way that you can get that is to have something that you hold in common that's stronger than the diversity. And if you're a Christian, Jesus is that thing. He's not that thing, he's that person. And he should trump, your relationship with him should trump, again, not as in Donald Trump, but should, should trump, should over, overpower any other difference that you have with any other human being so if another person is a christian and happens to be a democrat and you're not you should not think of them as being evil and vice versa we need to show our country an example of what unity and diversity that's what people preach about all the time we need to show everybody everybody what that really looks like and only we have the potential to be able to do that 
And I'm not bragging that Christians are such great people and that they're better or anything. It's just that we have, the, we have that common thing, that common one that binds us together, who is more powerful than anything else that's true of our life. And so I'm calling you, calling me, that we be an example in our nation of what unity and diversity looks like. He gives hope in troubled times. And so if you're hoping that the new president, whoever he turns out to be, if you're hoping that he's going to save the country, of course they have to do things that are right politically, of course. But ultimately, he's not going to save us. If you're thinking that, then your hope is in the wrong place. Your hope is in the wrong place. It has to be in Jesus. I think that's one of the reasons for the divisions that are happening. That we would, as Christians, would say, look, it's God that's holding us together. It's God who is our source. It's God who gives us our identity at the deepest level. It's God, 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 God. And we haven't been doing that. We've been relying on our comfortable situation. So now we got discomfort so that we get our eyes on Jesus like we never have before. And then ultimately, our because our ultimate hope, yes, there are blessings in this life, but our ultimate hope is on Jesus' return. And when we talk about Advent, the season of Advent, we not only celebrate his first coming, but also his second. He came once, he's coming again. He came first you know, mild and meek and gentle sometimes. He's coming again on a white horse as a general of an army to conquer evil forever. And that's our, that's our deepest hope. That's what keeps us going when, when things get tough. And so Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, and then I'll, then I'll conclude. I'll be done. Henceforth there is laid up for me and for us the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. Do you, are, you, are you longing for Jesus to come? I tell you, the older I get, the more I want him to come back tomorrow. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for entering into history, into time and space, for becoming one of us, the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity and the person of Jesus of Nazareth became a human being. The God the Son became just like us. We thank you for that. Help us to become just like him because we know one day we will be and Lord, we get bogged down by focusing on this life. And we should. This life matters. What we do here, it counts for something eternally, of course. But we'll get discouraged if we think this is it. Help us to keep our eyes on that second advent. When, among other things, we will never, ever sin again. Our Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org.